my food time. Hold it up and smoke it. Transgression of progression of a war we ain't asked. Transgression of progression of a war we ain't asked for. It's madness, yo. All the things that we could talk about. Call it. But let's talk about these urban circumstances real quick. And basically, it's the man. Um, we got this. So. Revolution. Muhammad is the famed name. Forever stand. Standing on royal, fusing of justice for the few, ridiculed by the pale terrorists, bent on genocidal obsession, rooted in fear of neglection and abandonment, fueled by nightmares of ancestors. Truth, because at the end of the day, I still want to be able to, to, I don't dislike George Washington. The kind I of friends I think all friends should be like my friends. My friends are the kind of friends I think everyone needs. My friends see the things at times I don't see. My friends hate the police. child trying to see you, you gonna look, you gonna pick up that book, Lord keep me far from the faith, guide me through night and day, teach me your ways, show me the righteous way to sway, Lord can you teach me please, show me the way, I'd say. afternoon people <clears throat> grand risings and welcome back to another episode of the urban conservative with chaz neal we're excited to have you join us on this journey of thoughtful discourse and community engagement the urban conservative is proudly sponsored by the leon black network an organization committed to promoting transparency truth and accountability in our media landscape here at the Urban Conservative our mission remains steadfast to bring you the latest news directly from the streets address and critical topics such as gun violence, crime, politics, and perhaps most importantly, exploring solutions to the profound challenges our communities face. It's time to actively contribute to the transformation of our communities for the better. How can we achieve this? The answer lies in a multifaceted approach that starts with reconnecting with our core family values, strengthening our sense of community is paramount, fostering bonds that transcend the barriers that often divide us, Moreover, it involves embracing our foundational roots, recognizing the historical and cultural threads that weave through the fabric of our society. We are calling for more than words. We seek action. It's a plea to move beyond mere rhetoric and engage in tangible and impactful initiatives that contribute to positive change. The time for empty words has passed. Now more than ever, we need to put our convictions into action. Together, united by a common purpose, we can make a substantial and lasting difference in the well-being of our communities. Join us on this journey as we explore not only the challenges, but also the opportunities for growth and progress. Together, let's turn our shared vision for stronger, safer, and more connected communities 
into a reality. Thank you for being a part of the Urban Conservative, which has you know, a platform dedicated to fostering change and making positive impact on the world around us. Shut up and help. Um, this morning, I wanted to talk about the Freedmen's Bureau Chronicles. Um, I wanted to talk about the Freedmen's um, since that came up uh, just recently with, you know, everything that's going on with the talk of, you know, history and the talk of truth, um, you know, because there was things that were set up. And I think people are, they get it misconstrued and miscontext, misinformation. The fact that, you know, yes, 40 acres and a mule was legislation that was never enacted. Uh, and I don't think people fully comprehend that. Uh, they only see one part of it and they don't see the full story. And that's what I wanted to talk about today was just coming in and giving y'all a 360 of what the Freedmen's Bureau was because they helped with jobs, they helped with educational opportunities. It wasn't about land. It wasn't about the 40 acres and the mule like people perceive that it is or that it was. Uh, and I think more historical context and going into the history will help better paint that clear picture and hopefully people can get a better understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about reparations and how that that wealth that <clears throat> wealth gap uh, is historical and and um, generational. So I found a little video that I wanted to play from Vice, and to me, it's it's a very good one. Uh, I just want people to listen and 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 we'll talk about it afterwards. So let's get into it. $600,000, million, $2 million homes. Your biggest decision is, do I want to go to the beach or the pool? And what am I going to grill for dinner? What's going on there? People with families, everybody loves Hilton Head. One of the best ways for an American family to create intergenerational wealth is to own some land. I demand it. I'm standing on the beach of the beautiful island of Hilton Head, South Carolina where after the Civil War, black people owned most of it. But over the decades, the land was lost. And to this day, we got black folks that are still fighting to keep their little piece of the American dream. By 1910, African-Americans owned around 16 million acres of land, much of it acquired through purchases and homesteading. But after years of violence, intimidation, and legal trickery, most of it was taken. Texas A&M law professor Thomas Mitchell has been tracking that loss for two decades. Historically, if we're talking about African-Americans, despite this incredible acquisition of land after the Civil War, most of that property was not considered prime real estate. For example, Hilton Head, South Carolina. Until 1950, Hilton Head was remote. There wasn't a bridge from the South Carolina mainland out to Hilton Head Island and the island was owned by majority African-Americans. Right. What does South Carolina do? They build a bridge. Real estate developers realize, oh, there's a great economic opportunity. And they have divisions of what has become Hilton Head. The indigo, rice, 
and long staple cotton of the past have given way to the golf, tennis, and swimming of today's leisure society. They started buying out individual families and there's hardly any black landowners left. And what's just happened as our society has advanced areas that were once considered the backwaters no longer are the backwaters. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. You, don't go anywhere. I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. We're on a mission right now <laughs> to get this tangerine. The vulnerability of black land isn't limited to the coastlines. It's widespread throughout the United States, even in my hometown of Tallahassee. Sandra Thompson learned just how hard it can be to maintain possession of land that developers want to get their hands on. I remember growing up in Tallahassee and lived out here with boonies in the boondocks. It's actually <laughs> now zone urban fringe. Urban fringe. Urban fringe. People tried to buy it. All the time. Sandra's family were sharecroppers on this land. Her grandpa bought in 1946 using money their son made serving in the military. But their will didn't clearly identify a single person who would inherit and manage the property. When my grandmother passed away, it was left equally to her descendants. So that essentially created heirs' property. Heirs' property. On the most basic level, what is it? Heirs' property is communal-type property where your ancestors would have purchased the land and once they passed away, it transfers to the next generation and then their descendants. It's fractional ownership, a property that could be owned by 200 people. Any one of those heirs could sell their percentage. That new owner can go to the court and say, well, we can't agree on how to manage this land. And force the rest of the folk to sell it even if they don't want to? Yes. And so it was essential for us to move it out of heirs' property status. And that process costs from probate to title clearing close to about $10,000. Wait, so you, you own the land, but then you had to pay $10,000 to own the land again? Exactly. Because of the cost, a lot of families don't clear title to their property. And so then it keeps them in a vulnerable economic risk position. African-Americans disproportionately own heirs' property that every lawyer who was knowledgeable about this ownership form would tell them, run away, do not ever own it under this structure. And so you're, you're, you're having a population sitting in this They don't understand until a lawsuit is filed. This land been in our family for at least 125 years. Started with my great-grandfather. The land is, for me, a lot of memories, part of my roots. I was proud of the name Lewis. We worked to have something. I guess we say we lost it. This family owned 480 acres of land and a homestead in northern Louisiana. Because the land was heirs' property, 
several distant family members were able to sell their share of it to a local timber developer named James Tuggle. Tuggle forced the sale of the land that happened last year. My great-great-grandfather raised 13 kids where that house sits. I mean, there are so many heirs tied into the Lewis properties. It'll make your head spin. Taxes were always paid on time. We were under the impression that could no one person from the family just up and sell any part of the property without anyone being notified. Do you all know the relatives that sold their, their part? I've only seen one once. You in New York, wherever, going on with your life, you don't really know nothing about this little country spot right here. You don't know nothing about this here. As part of the legal process, the forced sale of heirs' property has to be publicly announced. In the Lewis's situation, a local newspaper posted a notice in the weeks leading up to the auction. This is a small town. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is not like the Washington Post or New York Journal or whatever, you know. There's no paper out here in the country that's being delivered to the doorstep. You know, ain't no ball riding no bicycle throwing no paper on the front porch down here. Life insurance can exam. How does up to 100? So walk in and just do a family like that. I don't understand that. My mama keep the insurance on this house. She keep a roof on this house. She keep these bills paid on this house. You know, my thing is, your house has been here for years. Because of a technicality, you are not, you're uprooted a, a family. Shortly after James Tuggle completed the purchase of the Lewis property last year, the shit in Michael. was sitting here. Those are the steps to the front entrance. I called the sheriff. Well, it's his property. He can do with what he wants. The sheriff's saying that Tuggle can do what he wants. He can do what he wants. It's his property. I suggest you move the trailer. He says, well, that's all I can tell you. Is there anything I can help you with? I told him no. Michael ended up with a little over $2,800 for his share of the property. He used it to relocate his trailer home to a half-acre lot nearby. Still got to put in a water line. The water line is across the road. I could be angry, angry to the point that I want to do something to somebody. I mean, you're talking about 125 years of family heritage. Michael invited us in to see the documents from the local district court that informed them their land was being targeted for sale. This is a, a petition that came to us via the sheriff department. This is the very first document that we received. You're hereby cited to comply with the demand contained in the petition, da 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 da, da which the office is in the town of Homer and said Paris State. You have There's 15 a lot of days words throw at somebody that really can't understand some of the, the lingo, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And we get up to the office to find out exactly what it is that they're trying to say. To make sense of these documents and get a better understanding of what happened to the Lewises, we visited the clerk of court, Brian Flynn. Anything involving a partition lawsuit is filed here in this office. 
I'm the custodian of all of these records that you see. So you want to take this out in front? Yeah, we take it. When it comes to developers, what's the mechanism that they use to track down family members? Okay, they'll come into the, this office, and then generally you know the piece of property that you're looking for. You know, whether that is because it's got some timber on it or something of that nature. Then what you do is you can look at the tax assessor's office and the tax assessor's office will give you just a visual plat, a hand-drawn plat of how the property went from one person to the next person to the next person. And that's how they'll initially find out who owns the property. So what happened with the Lewises? The Lewises are a family that is spread out across the United States. So James Terry Tuggle buys into that property. Now, he didn't just buy a sliver of that property. He ended up buying somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. Understood. Once he owns that, yeah. he can force the entire thing to be sold. And that's what he did. Which he did. I smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of a decade, Tuggle, a timber developer in town, bought the shares of more than 20 people connected to the Lewis property, most of them from out of state. He declined our request for an interview and didn't respond to our written questions. So the sale happens at the sheriff's office where it is publicly open for bid and it's sold for $555,000. And a bargain of a well, price, I, right? Well, I mean, I don't know, $550,000. For 500 acres? Oh, I've seen 17 acres of land sold for $1,800. And believe me, that, you know, that's disturbing. The sale he's talking about was made in 2001 to a real estate investor named James Steele who advertises his ability to force the sale of Air's property. We caught up with him at a sheriff's auction nearby. All right, suit number 418821, Trig Investments, LLC versus Maurice Hunter et al. The minimum acceptable bid is $2,294.25. The floor is now open for bids. Do I hear a bid? Okay. Two thousand two hundred. Just put your name right there. Morning, Jim. Morning. How you doing? Fine. What just happened today here? Well, I bought an interest in a piece of land, an undivided interest. You know, when it's inherited, and there's a lot of heirs. Mm -hmm. I owned twenty-four acres out of the fifty-two before before today. You did yes, and now you came and purchased the rest. How much? have you paid in total for 52 acres? I would have to add that up because don't get me wrong, I, I do a lot of these and mm. I can't keep them all in my head. Mm. How does Ayers property fit into your overall business model? To be truthful with it, it's probably 90% of my business model. Even going back to the Civil War, we're doing mm -hmm. something that the people in Civil <laughs> War had it. I mean, they were slaves and they had it. And I've had other landowners come to me and say, well, you file a lawsuit for me and do this because I don't want to be the bad guy. You be the bad guy because you already been the bad guy. You do so this you all the time. So, you so, so I'll, be, so I'll you be the bad guy. You recognize that what you're doing is perceived. You look at me as evil. No, no, no. I don't know. No, I'm <laughs> oh, saying no. I'm no, I don't, I don't. No, no, no. No, what I'm saying is to, to, the, to the family member that wants to sell, you're bringing the bank, you're bringing the money to the family member that doesn't want to sell, you're evil. Probably in their eyes. Yeah. yeah. And some people are sincere about not wanting to sell. They mean it. 
most don't. Most say that, but they don't mean it. They just want instant gratification and money now. But there are some that don't want to sell, and it's usually the ones that live on the property that get free rent, free everything. Is their land? They're not free rent. Well, they only own a minuscule portion of it. I've heard it thousands of times. You can't make me sell my land. And then I respond back. I say, yes, I can. But it's my land. Well, it used to be. Yeah, that ain't that. <laughs> the bottom line is what you have is these families who many times owned property for generations, including families who acquired ownership right after the end of the Civil War. Their property rights are instantaneously extinguished, and then they are stripped of a significant amount of their overall wealth, not just their real estate wealth, because African Americans disproportionately who have assets, it's represented in land and homes. So their single greatest asset now has been sold at a fire sale and they're getting pennies on the dollar. These CEOs started with nothing. The way that this system is set up, it seems like it disproportionately affects African-Americans who through legal trickery and threats of violence and lynching and whatnot, land has been taken from them. Well, you I see what I'm saying? I hadn't lynched anybody like legal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but and, you know, and people like me, I'm at least nefarious. I'm an I'm a, I'm a opportunist. I'm a racist. I've been called everything in the world. Well, I'm not a racist. I don't go after the certain things just because you're black or you're Asian or you what? You going after the, the land. land, the land. So if everybody in the world could sell a piece of land to their brother or their sister or their son, and nobody could build factories. Nobody could do anything. It would always be out of commerce and never be able to use. There's no remedy to get commerce. And, and Do you and, think and, it's fair? It has to be. It has to be fair. Jim Steele was in the Fort Lewis property. The developer who was let him stay on the land. His mother decided to leave. This is my mother's house. When she retired, this became her home. Why did she leave here? She left here because she was nervous about whether or not her mama's house was going to be pushed down and whether or not her house was going to be next. She couldn't sleep at night. She just didn't feel safe. Greg's mother, Miss Trudy Stanley, and other members of the Lewis family tried to formalize their ownership when they found out it was being targeted for sale. Mr. Tuggle was years ahead of them in the process and outbid them during last year's auction. Shortly after that, Miss Stanley C. It's time for to realize that I don't have it anymore. It's not right. I didn't say I'm not part of the property. Only somebody else came, sold that part, so they affect the whole family. We didn't know the law, so we could protect it. So we lost it like that. Every year, I just, we didn't just leave it alone to forget it. We took our resource and made sure we got the taxes paid. Everything that what we did. Why do you think your grandfather didn't make a will? Well, I don't think back during that day, they were thinking about making a wheel. But my grandfather 
prepared for what he knew at the time and what he had to do at the time, prepare for my family. So I know the difference. Because she needs a will. Because there's going to be chaos in their families. How important was the land to you? 420 acres of land. It means a lot. And to lose it, you had no defense, you know what to do, lost it. That was devastating. It still is. It will ever, forever be that way. Because that's a loss. Part of the reason we have in the African-American community such a high incidence of heirs' property is that when African-Americans move from the status of being property themselves mm -hmm. to after the Civil War, being able to become landowners, right. hardly any of these families were able to structure the ownership in a way that would be stable because most African-American families had no access to attorneys. And there's studies in various southern states that show that it's somewhere between 10 and 40 percent of all property African-Americans own is heirs' property because a huge percentage of these families don't have wills or estate plans. And what they know is their property transfers to their heirs. There is a huge racial will-making or estate planning gap. Average white family has 10 times the assets of the average black family. Real estate developers or speculators or investors, they know that. And so what they do is they give a lowball price because they know that the family can't even compete against the lowball price. According to United States Forest Service research, there's around $28 billion worth of heirs' property in the South. And that's a conservative estimate. Thomas Mitchell drafted legislation designed to help families hold on to theirs. So far, it's passed in 16 states. So the first provision is if somebody files one of these lawsuits and requests a court to order the forced sale of the property, what the other owners are then entitled to is to buy out the person who asked for the forced sale. There had been this narrative that black landowners were inevitably gonna be extinct by about now. I was like, why are we gonna sit back and watch more and more property and land and homes go and then on the back end call for reparations as opposed to trying to stabilize right. the ownership so that it's not dissipated right. 20 or 30 years from now. My family homesteaded these properties. They raised families on these properties. Mr. Togo, he ain't gonna build nothing on it. It's all for the timber. All for the timber. As far as you can see on all these hills, this is fresh cut. I mean, right after he purchased, he went to cutting. It was in the family for 125 years. All of this? All of this. My aunts and uncles' houses sat up on the top up here. You can see that it's been wiped clean of pine and everything that you see pushed up, they're going to come back and burn it and then replant. This is important that you stick together. You keep your interest together. You hold tight to your interest. And if you plan on doing anything with your interest, make sure you do it in the family. 
keeping it independent. That's, that's where we fell short. Because with him now is probably you know, So, watching that is a a stark reminder that uh, history is important, you know, and, and I don't think people fully comprehend that because when we talk about generational, we're not just talking about the last, you know, 30, 40 years. We're, we're talking about hundreds of years. And we, we don't have an advantage because when, when literally it was illegal, blacks to rewrite to be educated so of course we're going to be left behind if we don't understand you know he said some some very good words in there and about like legal jargon and you know not understanding what was being thrown at them and that's how it 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 is because we're not the most educated people it shows on data it shows on statistics that they don't want us to be educated. They want us to be undereducated so they can keep on doing the things that they're doing. And, you know, this is a, uh, a podcast. This is a show that, you know, I talk about current events as well. And, you know, going into talking about, the, you know, freedom and talking about the, the Freedmen's Bureau it is talking about truth. You know, this is, we're in 2024, and, you know, Cat Williams was on Shannon Sharp's uh, Club Shay Shay podcast, and that shit got like 20 million views, and but it's got people talking. It's got people reacting, right? It's got people reacting, what people, but what people don't understand or realize is that Cat went on there because everybody else had already been on there, right? They've already has said things. So why isn't it okay for somebody to to put it all out there? And then you have other people that are bringing up the past of, you know, Mark Curry calling out Steve Harvey or certain little things that are, are really showing. Is it what Kat's speaking? Is that factual? Is there some animosity? It really makes you think, though, because, you know, just even looking up about what he said about, you know, Terry, Tyler Perry and, and, and the Medea character, I found a, a pastor that said the same thing that literally Tyler Perry and Medea made it comfortable, made it comfortable for black people to see drag queens and to see people dressed in drag going to churches uh and, and being in dresses and, and just being normal and and i think about that because how many people did we see on a on a like all the time that we're black and would be thinking that you know dresses are cool or skirts or, or wearing purses it wasn't until to me honestly that when social media and entertainment hollywood uh really took over because if we're if we're talking about programming this is where we see these things we go to the movies we go to uh you know concerts we we follow these 
these celebrities. And for what? That's what I don't understand is we'll follow negativities and wrongs, but not people that want to educate and, and do better. It really makes you think of what we really stand for in America of do we want to progress or do we like the chaos and the drama? Because when it comes to talking facts and, and history and, and calling out the the problems that are, are in our communities, that's, you know, nobody ever wants to talk about that. But yet they want to talk about all the chaos the, the drama, not even the chaos, but the drama right between each other. Is that what we're focused on is beefs? Because we should be focused on solutions and not causing more drama. Because we already have enough drama. And, and the crazy part of it is, is you know what? I Honestly, I think... A lot of people should already expect the chaos and the drama. I don't think that's what Kat was looking for. I think Kat was just telling his truth. Um, Cause yeah, it, none of this it, that's being put in front of us makes any sense anymore. You know, with the Jeffrey Epstein, uh, you know, with Diddy, How many people done did some weird shit to get advance their careers, advance their lives? You know, how is that not uh, weird? How do not people not see that as is weird? You know, and then we have. You know, the city of Minneapolis, they're going to be voting on a ceasefire. I don't get it. What is that going to do? It's just a piece of paper. You guys are a city entity. I, I don't get it. You're literally a, a city entity. And for the things that they're doing is, is beyond ridiculous to me. Because what is a ceasefire going to do? It's just like with these resolutions, people are, city entities are passing. They don't have any effect with, y'all don't even want to make, you can't even get ceasefires in your own city. But yet you you want a ceasefire somewhere else that is only delaying something that inevitable. It's only delaying something that is is bound by history and by biblical times to happen. A ceasefire is not going to help. You're only prolonged. It's just like, it's like here with us right here in America. When we sit here and we scream, no justice, no peace. And we're tired of coming out to the streets protesting, tired of, um, 
seeing our brothers and sisters killed on the daily, seeing our, our brothers and sisters wrongfully convicted, right? It's sad. But that's the way America is designed. That's the way our country is designed. It's not designed with us in mind. It wasn't designed for accountability. It wasn't designed for transparency. I'm starting to see. Because everything that we've ever been told to basically is a is a fairy tale, is a fantasy, uh, far from the truth. Um because I don't, ex how do you expect a culture of people, a race of people to advance here in America when they're the only ones that have started with nothing? Started as, I'm not gonna say started as slaves, but were enslaved. How do you get ahead? And then when you are freed, you're released with nothing. It's just like with, with when you get out of prison, they give you that little bit of money after all that work you done did, all the money you done made them. And you're going out to a society with nothing. With nothing. Basically started from the bottom, now we're here. It's the same exact thing. How can people grow when you have nothing? You don't have no tangibles to be able to grow, right? It's just like now and in today's time, we're so undereducated that a lot of people don't even know they have smart, they have great ideas. But because we're undereducated, we don't know what to do with those ideas. We don't know, you know, how to be homeowners how to be self-sufficient. All we know is what the Democrats tell us. Well, sorry about that. I had to, I had to meet my PO this morning. So um, I hope everybody has a good Friday. I'm gonna end it. Uh, no, I'm not getting my usual crowd so um usual following so i'm gonna get up out of here everybody have a happy friday have a great weekend i might do a show over the weekend i'm not really sure yet i will get some time in advance so with that being said winter fail freedom or jail heaven or hell wish me well every day fighting for my life Every day, fighting for my life, fighting for my life. Trials.